There ain't nothing in the world that I like better than bacon and lettuce and homegrown tomatoes. Up in the morning, out in the garden, get you a ripe one, don't get a hard one. Plant them in the spring, need them in the summer. All winter without them is a culinary bummer. I forget all about the sweating and digging. Every time I go out, pick me up big. It is time for Yard and Garden Live. Good morning. Welcome to 90 Minutes of questions and hopefully answers to your landscape problems. Uh, Nebraska Extension educator Nicole Stoner is not here, all right? But don't worry, we still have all the answers to any problems you might have. We call it Yard and Garden Live. You just need to call 402-729-3383, 402-729-3383. And now, sitting in for Nicole Stoner is the equally uh, uh, beautiful and talented uh, Sarah Browning. Hi, Sarah. Hey, good morning, Randy. Oh, man, it's nice to nice to have you there. Definitely. And, it's nice and, to be here. Yeah. Uh, you, you, this is your second time? Yep, second time for the season. And uh-huh. guess what? This, this yahoo that you have <laughs> sitting over there to your right is also here for the uh, second time. Okay. Yeah, right? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm talking about oh, I'm yeah. talking about you. I would keep looking around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. George Pinkerton, by the way, is here. George, you need to pull that microphone just a little bit closer. And while you do, um, uh, George uh, is a co-owner, and I got this down of Roseland Nursery mm-hmm. over in Blue Springs. And you were busy last week, huh? Was it last week? That yes, you were up? it was last week. Went to the and did a presentation in front of the. Uh, Wilbur Garden Club. Yeah, the Wil- very Wil- nice ladies. Yeah, and uh, uh, so and uh, the the commercial that we had for you and it wasn't your <laughs> fault. It wasn't my fault, but I I caught it the first time. It had uh, not uh, Rosalind. It had what did what what did it said it? Rosary 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 Nursery Rosary, which nursery. by the way impressed my parish priest. <laughs> I mean. He was really grateful for the little cut in. Uh, I caught it the first time around, and then the second time around, apparently I didn't catch it. So, well, anyway, we'll talk to my lawyer. Uh, okay, yeah. very good. So, did you uh, you had a good time there talking yeah, to? Yeah, uh, we talked about uh, some problems uh, that we see with trees, especially this time of year. That that uh, after this last winter and everything, we had quite a few. Uh, borderline plants that you know we're shifting it seems like we're shifting zones a little Uh more like a 5b zone than we used to be a Mm -hmm. 4b or a 4 5a and we planted some stuff now in this last winter um we had a a, that cold snap that came through right we lost quite a few in fact i talked to several people at the university and uh oh with the arborist association and everything and they kind of had a list of trees and shrubs that that uh, died mm-hmm. on this type of thing and kind of some of those were kind of surprising so and i think a lot has to do too how the tree is uh you know set to go into winter mm-hmm. is that uh you got enough the right amount of uh, uh you got mulch i guess and you have to have the right moisture in those roots and everything and in good health so yeah I mean, I think one thing that people didn't recognize last fall, uh, George, was we were in some pretty good drought conditions in the fall. Yes. So September, October, November, we were very dry. And so people put their hoses away in September and Mm -hmm. they stop watering. They don't think about, you know, watering their trees and their shrubs in those late fall months. So plants were very dry going into the winter. Then we had a big temperature drop that happened in mid-November, which seems to be becoming the norm for us. Mm -hmm. You know, where night temperatures were 
in the 30s, you know, you know, kind of traditional temperatures, and then we suddenly dropped into the single digits for several nights. And so plants that weren't completely hardened off um, may have suffered. Then we had those extremely cold temperatures oh, yeah. in February. So we had kind of a whole list of things that could have um, played into the amount of winter damage we saw. And I think we saw a lot of uh, evergreen desiccation, too, mm -hmm. on the needles. And yep. we there was a tremendous amount of loss of boxwood. Yeah. Oh, boxwood yeah. were just, just blasted. Yeah, they really yeah. were. Yeah, that's and been the question of the week. Yep. Is what's the matter with my uh, burning bush? Yep. Another one? Yep. That has got that hit hard. Got hit I, hard. Saw, I saw privet go down this year, too. A lot of yeah, privet. Yeah, my mm -hmm. privet went bye-bye. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, well, I, you know, I think it's it's going to be okay down all the way down at the bottom. I think it's going to be okay, but all the top is just mm -hmm. gone. And I, mm -hmm. yeah, I did. I went out and. That's a good way to do it. Just, just yeah, remove that dead. Yeah, yeah, got the dead out of it. And uh, 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 see, if I'm not going to take it. As long as it's green down and below, it's. It's yeah. fine. You know, and I hated to take the, the, the dead out because the dead was such a convenient uh, place for the bindweed. Oh, to, <laughs> yeah. to climb? Uh, yeah. Make it green again yeah, with it, bindweed. Exactly. Yeah. It was green again. Oh, yeah. elevated bindweed. Yeah. Great. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I had a neighbor uh, next door to me who had two boxwoods that were hit pretty hard this yes. winter. And I've just kind of been watching those this year because she's just, she hasn't pruned them. She just let them stand. They had some green growth in the in the spring on some branches that were alive, but I've noticed as the summer's gone on that some of that growth is dying back now. So mm. I I uh. am I don't have very good hopes that these plants are going to survive. Right. I think that they mm. may be dead by next spring. All right. 402-729-3383. 402-729-3383. I said 82. I said the wrong number there. 402-729-3383 is our phone number on Yard and Garden Live. Again, uh, if you've got a question, uh, answers for you from uh, Sarah Browning, who's a, an extension educator in Lancaster County, and uh, our buddy George Pinkerton, who along with Carol... Yes. Hughes uh, own the Roseland Nursery in Blue Springs. And, uh, you know, just just because you're here, uh, I'm not saying this, but I'm, I'm here because I, I think it, it, it needs to be said. If uh, you are thinking about planting a tree this fall, uh, one thing about the fall, the, the, the big box stores don't have the trees like they do in the spring Not right as many. Because, yeah yeah because they're just like yeah one and done right mm -hmm. but uh, even if you aren't this fall maybe next spring try to remember that and not just roseland nursery but a lot of your nurseries will have a better selection of trees that do well in our area mm -hmm. and that's real important because uh we sometimes get plants and trees at the box places that just don't do well they're pretty they're pretty and they look good but they may not survive well in nebraska yeah. and so, so you're out there digging a hole and right. doing all the work and not you know you're, you're right. kind of feeling you know, a lot has to do with what the seed source is from these these trees and you know they may be sourced right or not sourced right but if they're growing in oklahoma and you know it's just trying to ship them too far from mm -hmm. the south and too far from the too north, north. Yeah. and, and have problems like that but one of the keys too we found out too is the root maker system i think sarah's familiar with that mm -hmm. type of system mm -hmm. but this is creates a uh, root system that is like a hairy mop and okay. and the lots of little white 
roots ready to go to work and everything like that. Nothing tangled up. We did. We looked at some uh, products and uh, in this when I was at Wilbur the other day about how do you you leave a tree in a a pot a rounded pot too long has a tendency to go circle like that and these things don't come apart. Um, I had several pictures of that we saw in people's yards and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Especially seems like maple trees. Is it to you? To, I mean, like uh, ornamental maples, like red maples and things like that, have a tendency to cross root a lot. Have yeah. you seen that? I, you know, you leave a plant in a round pot yeah. too long, and, and all of them will start to right. circle like right. that. You know, develop those girdling roots. But mm. um, yeah, no, and, there's and no nowhere else for them to go. Right, yeah. they no. just go in a circle and just keep going around and around. And and most homeowners or most you know average gardeners don't realize that. The health of those roots is really the future of that tree. So if you have a bad root system to start with a young tree, it, it's not going to be around for a long time. So having a good root system like what George is talking about with these young trees grown in these root maker systems that, that prevent the development of these circling roots is really, really important. So, you know, when and actually, you know, going back to what you said earlier, Randy, yeah. September is, is the ideal time of year to plant woody plants, trees and shrubs. You know, because they have such a long period in the fall for root development. You know, you'll have root growth into November, even early December if soil is warm. And then they have a couple more months in the spring for root growth before they have to go through a hot summer. So fall planting is really ideal. So I would check out your local independent nurseries, you know, because they're going to have good, uh, more well-adapted trees than you might be able to find at the big box stores. One of the things we saw, too, and it's an item that's still for sale, in one of the larger uh, nursery company or that do pots and things like that, but they have a ring that you can put around your newly planted tree to keep the grass away. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, people never take that ring. It's steel, mm-hmm. and the, and it started to be like a little can. Mm-hmm. So the roots went back and forth, back and forth, crossed. Or I even saw the roots that went over the top of it mm-hmm. to <laughs> try to get away from it. And this guy says he spent nearly three hours trying to get that ring out of those roots. Wow. Mm-hmm. And everything. Yeah. So, and the other thing is that, that that particular tree has no extended root system to speak of, and the next really good windstorm, it'll yeah. just tip right over. I think you know Larry Germer. He always uh, he, he his description of when you think of a tree roots, you know, everybody will you know a lot of people will think that they, yeah they go really really deep. Mm. But he says if you just think of a if you take a dinner plate and turn it over upside down and you look at that. That's kind of the way your tree roots are going to go, and they're mm-hmm. they're not that deep. They're they're deep enough for whatever tree they 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 are, mm-hmm. but they really do spread way out. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is another thing too; those roots are so close to the ground. Some of those feeder roots are right in with the turf. So whatever you do to your turf, you do yeah. to your tree. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, for some reason, the the turf roots. Are a whole lot uh, yeah. easier and better of sucking up all the moisture than the than they're the tree. They're pretty competitive. Yeah, yep. Yeah. They'll get in there and fight for that water and those nutrients. Yeah. It's amazing yeah. they go deeper than tree roots too. Yeah, I yeah. mean some of the fescues and stuff will mine for water, whatever they need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. By the way, I, I ran into uh, Larry Germer and his wife mm. uh, this past weekend. Uh, yeah, July Fourth weekend. I was I went up to get an ice cream cone at our little ice cream shack and. My golly, there he was, him and his wife, sitting down there nice. eating a bowl of ice cream. Oh, that's hadn't, great. Hadn't seen him for a long time. He's looking great and doing doing well and asked about the program and said he gets to listen every once in a while. So that's great. Yeah, Larry was a great Wonderful. asset to this, this region. No I mean, kidding. Mm-hmm. 
402-729-3383. Yard and Garden Live, kind of off to an old pokey start mm-hmm. here on this Friday morning, the ninth day mm-hmm. of July. And then last week, when I would have thought that it was going to be not so busy, the phone's lit up. <laughs> so you just never know. Yeah. You yep. never know. You never if know. you have a question, now would be a great time to call 402-729-3383. 402-729-3383. Um, saw on one of the social medias that uh, a person that I know, uh, and they don't live here, they live east of here mm-hmm. in Nebraska, had a picture of a bucket full of Japanese beetles and pictures of everything that they had used to control them, including traps. Hmm. <laughs> Not a good idea. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, since I knew her, I said, I think that trap is one of the worst things that you really want right. when you have this problem. And I said, but don't take my word for it. Go see your extension people. Right. Because I know she lives in a town that has an extension okay. agent, and uh, yeah, they. Uh, so I mean, they sound like a good idea. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's let's catch them, let's trap them, let's get rid of them. Right? Sounds right. like a good idea. Yeah. But the thing is, you know, the the pheromones, the the scent a- attraction that they put in those traps is really very effective, and so it will draw Japanese beetles from a larger area, and you'll end up with more Japanese beetles on your property than you would have had without the traps. <laughs> I can't remember. So. She said something like, well, I think they're working. Randy, I've emptied them. I don't know how many times. I'm going, yeah, that's yeah. the problem. So if you don't like your neighbor, I, well, you know, put, put one in his tree. Yeah. Yeah. I said, yeah. the best place for a trap is about two blocks over and three blocks <laughs> yeah. down, huh? That's right. right. With a smiley face. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We have a couple of calls from Beatrice. Paul is calling from Beatrice, but Paul, before you, is Bill. Hi, Bill. You have a question. Good morning. When is the best time to water your yard? Best time to water your yard? Know. All right. Uh, Thank we, you. You betcha. Go ahead. So it's early in the morning, Bill. We would say, you know, anytime from like, you know, 5 o'clock in the morning until about 10. The reason for that, um, a couple of things. Usually the demand on local water systems is lower at that early time of the morning because people aren't active. Um, the other really big thing is we want that grass to be dry going into the nighttime hours because if the grass is wet at night, mm-hmm. it leaves a, a it, it, it creates a much more susceptibility, a longer time of period for those grass blades to become infected by various diseases like brown patch and dollar spot and such. So you want your grass to be dry at night. Um, plus, you know, 10 o'clock here in Nebraska, that's usually about when our winds really start <laughs> to pick up. True. And so you're going to lose more water to evaporation, and your watering is going to be less efficient later, you know, after 10 into the afternoon. So, you know, 5, 5, 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. would be about the window we would shoot for. There you go. Do you? I get a question a lot of times, too. How much water do you put on? So that's, that's you know, a good question. And so the, the traditional answer we always give is a half an inch of water at a time. But for a homeowner, how do you know what's a half an inch of water? Um, you know, unless you're willing to go out there with some tuna cans or something and actually audit your system to find out, you know, let's say you run your system for 30 minutes at a time. Put some tuna cans out and see how much water is collected in those cans. You, you could audit your system and figure that out. The other thing you could do is a, a technique that we call watering to the bottom of the roots. So with bluegrass, 
um, we say, you know, bluegrass is generally rooted about six inches or so deep. So if you, if you take a longer bladed screwdriver after you've watered and you see how far you can push that screwdriver down in the soil, as soon as it starts to get hard to push it in, you'll be in dry soil. And then you can, you can determine about how far down the moisture has gone. Um, and your goal is going to be about six inches. All right. Okay. Perfect. Let's uh, find out what's on Paul's mind here this morning. Hi, Paul. How you doing? Pretty good. What's going on? Uh, we planted a maple tree about a couple of years ago, and it's doing real good. The branches are coming out, and I was wondering when the branches can be trimmed, because when I mow, I'm doing the watermelon crawl. <laughs> You're bumping your head, are you? <laughs> so, Paul, those lower branches are actually pretty important because they help to contribute to trunk taper, to development of trunk enlargement. So you don't want to limb the tree up too early in its life because then you'll end up with this, this willowy, wispy thing that will be too skinny and it won't have a lot of strength to it. So, you know, I understand it's, it's kind of a problem to mow right now, but if you can leave those on for a while until that, that trunk gets strong, um, and then you can limb it up. I guess, you know, it would be helpful for us to know, first of all, how tall this tree is and um, how, what kind of trunk caliper it has right now at about four feet off the ground. Uh, it's about three to four feet off the ground where the branches kick in. Okay. And it's, uh, it's short. I'm six foot tall, and i got to look quite a ways up to see it. Okay. How many inches do you think it is um, diameter on the trunk about, about four feet off it, the ground? Well, it looks like it might be about a couple, three inches. Oh, Okay. So that's got fairly good trunk uh, development already then. Um, so y you, you could potentially take off some of those lower branches, but I would kind of hesitate to have you take off a whole bunch at one time. You might want to start off slowly and you know take off the lowest one, and then maybe next year take off the next lowest one and gradually limit up um, instead of taking off a whole bunch at one time. I know. So yeah, I don't want it. Go ahead. Uh, the uh, I also know time wise too. It'd probably be better when the tree is growing. It, it the, the International Society of Arboriculturists came out recently with an idea that it's better to trim a tree branch in a growing season versus into a, in a dormant season. So it's a quicker recovery of that thing. Mm -hmm. I know we we have a, 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 an arboretum down in Blue Springs, and what we do is we leave those branches pretty low. We try to put mulch down and forget about mowing underneath the tree and and that helps twice with the idea of of keeping that ground nice and moist and competition of the weeds and grass down underneath that you know that uh, drip line uh, that seems to that seems to work really mm -hmm. good for us and everything and it does it does the tree seems to be extremely healthy mm -hmm. when you leave those branches down to the ground. Mm -hmm. So and plus having that mulch around the base yep. of the trunk will keep you away from the tree trunk with your mower mm -hmm. so you're not damaging that lower bark. Which Are is you on a rider? Paul? No, I got to walk. I got to walk behind, but we do have mulch under, and it probably goes out about three, four feet. That's and, great. Uh, That's good I, news. I, I just mow around the edge of it, but the branches are spread out far enough where, like I said, I'm doing like what they call the watermelon crawl, trying to grow it. Like I said, I'm a little over six foot tall, so I'm almost on my hand and knee going around. Ah, how, okay. how tall is your wife? <laughs> oh, she's she's a little short thing. Get her out there mowing. Yeah, that sounds good. That, that's the reason I'm calling is because uh, 
I've been married going on 56 years, and they say you ought to got to keep Mama happy. And she don't want her three run. <laughs> okay. Paul, well, good luck with that. But yeah, you know, yeah. you want to be careful. But, you know, if there's one that's really well, constantly, you know, you could probably, you know, go ahead and, like, sniff that one and then yeah. maybe, well, maybe another you, one in the if, fall. If you're going to trim some of those lower uh, branches back, make sure you do one or two at a time. Don't go up four or five foot and yeah, do exactly. everything at, yeah. you know right so do yeah. it gradually yeah. don't mm-hmm. do a whole bunch at yep. one time mm-hmm. okay well i just wondering she was i told her i had no to trim it but i have sugar bear call you guys first before i do anything <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to get in trouble okay <laughs> thank well, you sir you betcha bye-bye Bye. let's uh see we've got uh somebody coming up in pickerel i think that's on four but chris from Tecumseh, sounds like maybe you're outside, Chris. Are you there? Hello, Chris. Yeah, you there? Yes, I'm here. You're uh, you're on delay, so if you're listening to the radio, it's going to be confusing for you. Okay. So you'll need to turn the radio down. Uh, I have a down. question. Are you guys familiar with uh, Aliensis Altisma, they call it? Yes. Uh, Tree of Heaven? Yeah. Uh seems to be a invasive tree. And so is your question just about how to get rid of it? Well, it's like 40 or 50 foot tall. Okay. And uh, it, it seems to reproduce like crazy. Yeah, they, I mean, they can reseed themselves, and they can also sucker from the roots as well. So, yeah, Elanthus altissima is a, you see it in, sometimes in the Sunday supplements where they've got those flashy color pictures, you'll see Empress Tree or Tree of Heaven has these beautiful purple flowers. It never has purple flowers in Nebraska because the flower buds don't survive the winter ever. In fact, sometimes the tree doesn't survive the winter. So it's it's not a great tree for Nebraska. Um, well, it seems to survive every winter, and okay. I, I was just wondering if there's any reason to have it around because I, I don't see the purpose of having it. Yeah, it, it it's not a great tree for Nebraska, um, Paul, so it would be a good idea to just go ahead and get rid of it. So, you know, you cut it down. Um, you could do a stump treatment on the trunk with something like Roundup to prevent it from setting up sending up shoots. If you have, like, suckers growing up in a turf area, uh, from the tree, then you would want to just hit those with a broadleaf herbicide, you know, something like a, um, a, a carfentrazone or sulfentrazone or something along that line. Um, a brush killer product would be another good option, and that will kill them too so that you can get rid of it completely. Okay, that's what I needed to know. Thank okay. you for your call, sir. I have a question. Um, have a good day. You too. Yep. We were up in Lincoln one time. We went to this on a kind of a house call. We looked at this. The lady had three, between two narrow driveways, concrete, uh, Palonia. Mm-hmm. And what is that called? That's the Empress tree, isn't it? The, is that the one you get? It, it did. You it, know, it gets, so com- it gets so confusing with common names. I yeah. think sometimes Tree of Heaven is called Empress Tree, too. I could be wrong about that, though, Paul, or um, uh, George. It could be, um, yeah, Polonia is is Empress Tree as a common name. Tree of Heaven is beca- the Atlantis that yeah, Paul was talking about. Because uh, I'm, I remember those that did bloom and they did produce seeds, but I thought I really thought they were very marginal yeah, they for this are. area. Yeah. And, and probably after this last winter, they're not there anymore. Right, exactly. So, mm-hmm. the, it's, those are the kinds of trees, the Tree of Heaven and the Empress Tree, that 
you know, if we if we have some e- easy years, they can live for a few years. Right. In fact, it sounds like this tree at Paul's has lived for a long time because it's like 40 mm. feet tall. Mm. But but eventually there will be a winter that will be too difficult in some way. And then oftentimes we see those trees dying and dying down to the ground. The Atlantis so. that I've had worked with and everything like that before are weak wooded. Yes, they they're grow, very they're sh- too fast and they, they're yeah, and they, they sucker spread really yep, bad. They grow very fast, which mm-hmm. means they have soft wood. Right. They're not really strong right. trees. So no, they're they're not really great. Uh, they're not a well adapted tree for yeah. us. Yeah. Here's uh from Pickroll. Here is Gary. Gary, thank you for waiting. You have a question. That's okay. Yes, I do. I replanted uh, an island out in my pond. It's about 60 feet from, uh, has a bridge going to it. And I tore it up, um, uh, killed it up, and replanted it with with uh, fescue. And I got a pretty good stand. Some of it was real good, and some of it's a little thinner. And the water grass is, looks like it's just taken it over. Uh, some of it, and there's still grass in there. What do you do? Just do it over or... Is there anything I could do? Just wait and see so, what it does next year. So when you say water Keep grass, I need to pin this down. Is it crabgrass or is it yellow nut sedge? Oh, I don't really know. I don't let it get very tall. I keep mowing it with the push more. That's the only way I can get so out. So is it kind but, of a, uh, a lighter green, lighter green colored yeah, leaves? Yeah, lighter green color, I would faster say. Faster yeah. than the, the grass? Yeah. So it's probably yellow nut sedge then because crabgrass yeah. would be more flat spread out on the ground and it would be no it's similar. not that no it's okay. not crabgrass no no well there there are specific herbicides that you can use that will help with nut sedge control um one of them oh, is good. called sedge hammer and um you're going to find when you go to the stores that it, it can be kind of expensive i mean you get this little packet and it costs you 12 bucks for this little packet well but, it's worth it i don't want to do it over again it's a lot of work out there yeah so um but Ideally, we tell you, you know, uh, um, to spray it early in the season. So if you if you mark these areas where you know that this this nut sedge is occurring, you might want to put an application down, like say early June next year. Um, oh, okay. But the plants that you have growing there now, you know, go ahead and spray them. Um, you're gonna. You're going to have to make multiple applications. In fact, getting rid of this stuff completely is probably going to be a three, four-year process. It, it really? may, maybe even more. Um, okay. Each little plant, once it matures, develops these little tubers on its roots, like little tiny potatoes. And there's been research that has been done on this, and they found that some plants can have as many as 15 tubers on their roots. <coughs> so you think you kill the parent plant, and here you get... You get all these new little young plants coming up where you killed the parent, and it looks like it's just getting worse and worse. Well, the trick is you have to kill the young plants before they become mature enough to develop their own tubers. So you have to keep mm-hmm. going back and being real consistent and respraying when you see the new little group of plants coming up. Eventually, you'll get it under control, but you're going to have to be really, really persistent. Wow. I know. I know. We fought okay. that. We fought that in the flower beds up in Lincoln, uh-huh. and they're irrigated, and we had to stay on top of that all the time. And it takes three or four years yeah. it, to get it under time. control, oh, okay. and it's a perpetual thing right. to do. Fairly simple way to make sure that it is sedge, right? Mm-hmm. Because sedges have edges, right? Right. And so the the stem is a triangular yeah. mm-hmm. shape. It's not round. So if you if you pull it out and you twill it between your 
thumb and your finger, you sh- you should be able to feel the uh, that it's got edges. Yeah, the flat sides oh. as yeah. you turn it in your fingers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, well, look I for keep the... mowing it with the push mower to try and you know keep it and hoping my other stuff takes off. But yeah. it's some of it's kind of thick, and I don't. There's mm. there's also grass in there, so I really want to keep what I got and uh, maybe. You know, it'll fill in eventually if I can keep the other stuff down. So. If you get a dense enough stand of the fescue, it will help to minimize the nut sedge. It won't ever get rid of it completely. Okay. Um, so, and the problem is that the nut sedge doesn't reproduce from seed. It reproduces from these little tubers on the root systems. The root. Yeah. So even if yeah, you're mowing them, they're still producing those tubers. So get after it with the um, with the sedge hammer, and. Um, yeah. And you can overseed those this August, uh, that so fescue. That's what I'll probably do. Yeah, and yeah, you get those spots. That'll but help what a lot. was that product called? I didn't write that down right away. I can write now. So Sedge what was it? Hammer. Okay, got it. Like sledgehammer, okay. but it's sedgehammer. <laughs> isn't that, isn't <laughs> that just tricky of those mm-hmm. chemical companies, huh? But once again, okay. it's best put on... Ideally, you would start, you know, like early to mid-June, and mm-hmm. then you would make applications repeatedly throughout the summer. You know, the, the, the thing they say is that the, tu- the plants start making their own tubers after we reach the longest day of the year, which is June 21st. We're past that now. So the new little plants are going to be starting to make their own tubers. But uh, don't let that discourage you. Just get started. Yeah. Just get started and okay. start killing those plants. And like, like okay. George said, it's going to be a three, four, five-year, maybe even more process. But just keep after okay. it. Eventually, you'll okay. get them under control. Okay. And, Thank and you very much. You Appreciate you. it. Thank you for you the bet. call. Bye. You bet. Uh, we have email and a picture, uh-huh. and we're going to take a look at that and answer your question on that. But first, we need to take a quick time out, and we'll be back with more Yard and Garden Live on today's Best Country, Whole Red 99.5. We are back on Yard and Garden Live. Ladies and gentlemen, answers to questions, stuff that's stumping you in your yard and or your garden. Uh, with us this morning, leading the way, Sarah Browning, who is uh, a Lancaster County Extension agent, or educator, much like Nicole for Gage County, uh, Sarah for Lancaster County, and we get Sarah at least once a year, sometimes twice a year to come down, and it's always so nice to have her Equally as nice as the man that uh, is, uh, is sitting in here today as well. Uh, and he is known as George Pinkerton uh, and of the Pinkerton Agency. And comic relief guy. Yeah, and comic relief. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> co-owner of Roseland Nursery in Blue Springs. Um, and I'm, I imagine if tomorrow, the next day, you forget his name and you'd like to figure out that Roseland Nursery thing, if you'd Google it, I'll bet it'll come Right up to the top. Yes, we at Rosa Nursery, we do not, we do not grow roses. No, so just trees. The actual depot that we use part of the operation came from Rosa, Nebraska. Gotcha. Via uh, Alma and, uh, let's see, it was a, uh, let's see, it was another plant on with your, but it moved through t- three times to a permanent resting place in Blue Springs. Okay. And it's got 1890, 1901 graffiti on the wall of people that worked there. Really? Yep. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And uh, you you live in Beatrice yourself? Yes, right? I do. Mm-hmm. Right. Did you, uh, and you at one time, 
you were uh, uh, employed by the city of Lincoln, uh, no, right? No, uh, actually, I was employed by Downtown Lincoln Association, right? Which is I, I mean, yeah. yeah, not the city, of right? They're the horticultural and <clears throat> kind of uh, the arm. They have a contract with the city for over fifty years to go to make. And the people who pay for this are the people who own property mm-hmm. in downtown Lincoln. And we took care of all the beds. There's over 1,200, 1,400 beds downtown we yeah. have to take care of. We do the occasional, the plannings and things like that for holidays, huh? that whole type of thing. And then there, the other arm of it, too, is they work with developing um, economy uh, down in downtown Lincoln. So, yeah. so, we're so very, if you, if you yeah. think it's hard to, to grow stuff in your garden yeah. in your backyard, think about mm-hmm. growing stuff down in downtown Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Ouch. Mm-hmm. That's got to be a... An urban jungle. That, that's got to be yeah. a step. So we uh, received a picture uh, from a listener who says that there's some kind of bug eating on their tree. There's not a bug in the picture that we could see, but you guys uh, think it's kind of uh, one we've talked about already, huh? Yeah, it, look, it looks like Japanese beetle damage. Pretty mm-hmm. classic, the way that the leaves are eaten away, and it almost leaves a lacy appearance to the leaves as the uh, the tissue between the veins is chewed away. So pretty classic mm-hmm. Japanese beetle damage. So lots of questions about Japanese beetles right now because they're really coming into their full season right now. So people are probably seeing damage on roses and grapes and lindens and lots of other plants in their landscapes. So. You know, our entomologists like to recommend just hand-picking. So if you've got a small plant, maybe you've got a rose that's really, really, uh, you know, very important to you, you can just go out in the evening, you know, with a little uh, bucket or a coffee can halfway full of soapy water, and you can just hand-pick the beetles. And if you do that every every couple of days, that can be a pretty good way to keep the damage to a minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, with a big tree like like uh, this person sent us, hand picking is not going to be an option. Yeah, really. But tough. then again, is spraying a large tree an option? You know, a lot of homeowners don't have the ability to spray a large tree. So the thing we want people to realize is that yes, the beetles do a lot of damage, and there are some lindens right now that are looking starting to look really brown at the top of the tree where the first damage starts. But the long-term damage of this leaf loss to the tree is minor. That's the good thing. If there's any yeah. good part of it is the fact that it's not going to look good right now, but it, as far as damaging the tree and killing the tree, that's not going to happen. Exactly. So yeah. these, these beetles, this leaf loss, this is not going to kill your tree. Even though the tree looks really rough right now, it'll come back next year. It'll leaf out just fine. Um, so... You know, you can just ignore it. You can just say, okay, it's going to look rough, I'm not, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Yeah. Um, if it's a small tree that maybe you just planted and it's really getting decimated, maybe in that situation it would be worthwhile to spray. Um, so what are your thoughts on that, George? Oh, I agree and everything. Uh, and, and, and you just pretty much told everything how to, how to control those or not, what we can do with it. Yeah. Uh, there's not a, unfortunately not a lot of things we can do to do. to, to you know, right. they're going to decimate us for a while and stuff, and that'll, yeah. that'll be a cycle. Teddy. The and, only yeah, and once again, if this lady has looked at or gentleman is listening, the last thing you want to do is go out and buy a trap for right. Japanese beetles. Right. Don't buy them. Yeah, they work. It's going to draw way more beetles yeah, to your it's landscape. Just, it's it's yeah. not the way to go by right. by any means. So Now, if people have, like, let's say you have a small fruit tree or something in your a peach or a cherry or something, uh, which the beetles loves, love as well. 
Um, you can spray those. You know, if you want to go with a botanical-type product, you could use a neem or a spinosad or something along that line. That's a good that'll, point. That'll okay. give you about three to five days of control. Uh-huh. And, but, it, you know, it would be a lower toxic product. Mm-hmm. Now, if you need to go with a stronger product, like a permethrin or a bifenthrin, that will give you about a week to two weeks of control at a okay. time. But, but you'll still have to make multiple applications. But you, if you are on a spaying, spraying program with your fruit tree, with the, just a general orchard spray, it's probably... Yeah, the orchard spray probably has carbaryl or it might have permethrin in it or, or some other insecticide. So you should that be orchard spray should be giving okay. you some control. All right. Listen, we have a walk-up here. We also have two guys that are on hold. I know the walk-up, he ain't got anything else to do, so he can stand right there. While we talk to <laughs> Dan from Odell, right after Kirk from Crete, who is first. Hi, Kirk. Hello. What's your question, sir? I had a uh, lot of cedar trees trimmed and uh, ran through a chipper, so I have like a huge truckload of mulch. Uh, will that cedar mulch, will that uh, deter insects and rodents? Will it deter insects and rodents? Uh, I've never, never heard this go, question yeah, before. I, I, I put my neck out there, but you go ahead and say what you're <laughs> going to. I'm going to say no. I, it, won't, it won't deter them, no. Um, cedar breaks down a little slower, so it'll be around for, as a mulch and provide you those benefits for um, longer than just, say, a hardwood or a softwood uh, blend wood, but no, it's not going to really deter mulch or rodents. Okay, I just thought the way you smell a pile every time you walk by that maybe it would. Yeah, unfortunately not. That's a good <laughs> thought. Good thought. Well, uh, moss, it keeps the moss away. Yeah. It? Because, I mean, there's cedar, that's why they make cedar chests and things out of there, anything that eats onto clothing and stuff. But mm-hmm. no, I don't think it has anything. It's just another mulch product you can put down there. It, it, would it, Sarah, would it change the acidity of the soil, say, underneath the tree or that much, or do you suppose? So, yeah, that, so that the, the wood and the leaves and everything of the juniper would be slightly more acidic. But given the fact that our soils are typically fairly highly alkaline, having that acidity added into the soil is really not a bad thing. It could actually help to moderate a little bit of our natural alkalinity. So in the long run, I don't think it's going to be a big problem for you. Okay. And uh, one more question. If I was to plant a uh, tree, like for shade, uh, if you use a post hole digger to dig the hole, like a 12-inch auger? No, I, if you do do that, uh, and I, I recommend against it, uh, it, you need to make a hole that's saucer-shaped more than a straight-down cylinder. Uh, and if, if, if the, as a last resort, if you do use that, make sure you scuff up the side because what you're doing is – especially with our clay cells around here, we're leaving a shiny, almost clay-like hole that becomes a pot that the roots will have a heck of a time getting out of. So I would I would try to make it more, like I said, more of a saucer, you know, wider than deeper. And uh, that's the way the tree roots like to grow. So, Sarah, I'm... Well, and sometimes people use a post hole digger and they go, they go deep in the soil with a post hole digger. Mm-hmm. Then they get the tree in and then over the next few months, the trees will sink in the holes. They'll yeah. go deep and they'll end up too deep. Deeper than they should have yeah, been. I've seen a lot of trees are planted too deep, and it kills them. It does. It kills yep. them. Yeah. Okay. If you uh, put mulch around a newly planted tree, do you want to leave like three or four inches 
away from the tree? Yeah, you, you know, it, to leave that, don't have the mulch right up against the stem. Uh, it has some problems. It's not, it, if you can keep it an inch or two away from the stem, that'll be just about fine. Okay, well, thank you very much. Thank you. Let's uh, talk here with Dan from Odell. Also, Rita from Fairbury. Uh, you're coming up, but first, Dan. Hi, Dan. What's your question? Well, uh, I listened to your program earlier in the season about the boxwoods, and I know you've discussed it quite a bit. Yeah. But I don't, I, so mine I've left alone, and it looks like I need to maybe take a chainsaw to them, maybe a foot up or something. You know, Sarah, you, we were talking about this before we went on the air. Sarah has a neighbor who uh, she noticed did not, you know, prune out the deadwood. Go ahead. Well, in the, in that case, Randy, those were burning bush. Oh, that was But a I have bush. another okay. neighbor, another house down that has boxwoods that look probably just like yours do. They have they have a little bit of green growth in about the t- the lower maybe 10 inches of the plant, but everything above yeah. that is dead. Um, Seems so that way, yeah. Is that what yours look like? Yeah. So you could go ahead and just start pruning out the dead. So anything that doesn't have any new green shoots or green leaves on it is dead. So start pruning that out. And then once you're done, you can see, you know, how much is left. Is it, is, do you think it's worthwhile to work with what's left, or do you think that it's better to just dig that plant out and start again? You know, eventually, nope. over the course of maybe another three, four years, that boxwood could kind of fill in and regrow so that it would have a nice shape. But it's going to take some time before it looks nice again. I, I had a neighbor who had uh, some boxwood that was in a row, and it, they hadn't quite come together. It was kind of amazing that, like, every third one or every second one or every fifth one would die. Really? He took them out, yeah. Uh-huh. And But they were, it amazes me that, that the boxwood that close together in the same area, yeah. there well, would be sometimes some wooden. So Kim has said that she has seen a strong difference in boxwood cultivars about mm. which ones survived the winter and which ones didn't. Yeah. So she has said... Um, the plants that she had seen that survived the best were green gem, and I think there's another one that starts with green, and I'm forgetting it. Maybe it's green supreme. Um, but those two cultivars of boxwood did much better. And then there's another one. It's it's a, it's not a cultivar, but it's a variety. It's a Korean boxwood. Korean boxwood. Korean buxus var coriensis. But that one survived well. Mm-hmm. So. Anything that has winter in the name, winter gem, winter, you know, whatever, winter, don't buy those. Yeah, because they're they, not for winter. They don't survive the winter for us. <laughs> okay. They may survive in Tennessee, but not in Nebraska. <laughs> right. Dan, did you have another question? Well, you know, I've got, <clears throat> got these growing on the north and the south side of my house. On the south side, uh, for some reason, they're only, I've kept them about three foot, and on the north side, they're like four and a half foot. But they seem to, once you keep them trimmed that way, they kind of get a crown, I guess, the top of the bush mm-hmm. where it's really thick. And if you try to trim on those, it's really hard to, I don't know, keep right. that. Well, for right now, I'm going to have to go lower in order to get in there and right. I guess just start trimming them from the top down then and, and see where I'm at. Yep, just start removing everything that's dead. Um, even if you're going into that crown or that really thick section of growth at the top of the plants, what'll happen is you're gonna you're gonna allow a lot more light to come into the center of the plant. So you may see some right. new shoot growth coming up through the middle um, it, over the next couple of years. 
Um, but it'll take a little while before that starts to happen. And now a postscript. That's what I was thinking I could take a chainsaw maybe a foot down. I don't know how well a chainsaw would work. but That would be a pretty rough that cut. Top, yeah. That would be a pretty rough cut. I mean, you could do it as an initial cut, but then I would come back in with some loppers or hand pruners and right. clean up those rough cuts and remove anything that's still dead that the chainsaw left behind. Now the postscript to the boxwood question is, I have boxwood on the west side of my house, up against the house, but it's heavy shaded, and also I mulch pretty good there. They didn't skip a beat this winter. They good. just came around. didn't have any damage at all. Did you keep yours watered in the fall? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think that made a big difference, yes, too. Yes, If did. they were watered in the fall or if they were not. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't really maintain water on mine at all, so that's probably... And most people don't out. think about that. Yeah. They, yeah. You know, they don't think about that in the fall. After September, we're done with watering in. Well, especially no something's grown inside the, the shadow of the house because then that doesn't get all the rain we think it does. Right. It can be a pretty lo- pretty dry location yeah. right there up against the house under the eaves. Dan, thank you, okay. for, thank you for your call, yeah. sir. We appreciate it. Yeah. Here's Rita from Fairbury. Hi, Rita. Yes. Hello. Hello. My question is, is I have some Rosa Sharon's, and the tips of them have died. Can I go ahead and cut them off? You bet. I think it's winter kale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, we did see some winter kale on Rosa Sharon as well. So, yeah, just cut it back to where you're getting new growth, and it'll start growing right back. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Rita. Bye-bye. Thanks for being patient, too, and waiting. And I'll tell you what, we've got a walk-in. We're going to go talk to him while we take a break, and we'll be back then with more of your calls on Yard and Garden Life. Back with Yard and Garden Live on ORED 99.5. Guys, we are back and live and on the air here. And uh, we just took a uh, kind of a, a walk-in, had a funny-looking zucchini. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. But before we forget, we want to go back to, uh, I believe it was Chris uh, in Tecumseh who had a uh, island that had a lot of nutsedge on it. And we've got some other, we've got some other products that besides sedge hammer right. that could work on it. So. Right. So George and I were talking about that over the break, and so I had recommended um, the sedge hammer product, which contains a chemical called uh, halosulfuron in it, and there are several other products that that have that chemical in it. But there's another product that also works very well. It's called sedge ender, and it contains a chemical uh, called sul- uh, sulfentrazone plus prodiamine. So the sulfentrazone is a post-emergent herbicide which kills the existing nutsedge plants. The prodiamine is a pre-emergent, and it, it works against some of those little tubers in the soil, and it kills them as they start to germinate. So those two chemicals together can actually give you a little bit better control than the um, halosulfuron, the, the sedge hammer alone. So also we would suggest that he look for that sedge ender product and give that a try because that could give some really good results all right sedge ender yes all right one of the great things about doing yard and garden live and once it gets around from uh oh a product standpoint people that have products that uh, uh would interest our listeners i get emails with uh, offers of uh, free product here yeah. And these are, <laughs> what did I get? Oh, I got one of those really great shovels one time that had the, the jagged edge on it. Mm. Yeah, they sent me the shovel, and I love it. That's cool. great. But this is now, this is pretty cool. These are little things that go in your hat, 
and they wick away the sweat. And if you got a nice white hat that you don't want to get sweat stains in, uh, this is you put one of these in and it wicks away the, the sweat from your forehead. And mine drips in my eyes. I hate when that happens. This will take care of that. And nice. just for you, mm -hmm. because you're, I know you're not a hat wearer, but I can, I can see that you probably have a visor. You probably wear visors. I do, actually. There you go. Well, thank you. One just for... Sorry, George. You can't have my package <laughs> of sweat ending. <laughs> I'll have to try this in my yeah. visor when, uh, I'm, when I'm out in the garden uh, next uh, time. It's, it's Very a, cool. It's 100%. It's American-made, 100%. And they're called No Sweat. And you can see them at nosweat.com. How about that? Cool. Thanks, Randy. Nosweat.com. Yeah. yeah. Appreciate right. that. There you yeah. go. Um, George looking like him. Not really <laughs> want one of those, Randy. <laughs> no mileage, no uh, hat, nothing. Yeah, I got nothing. You can have my <laughs> stupid sweater. No, that's all right. You keep it. Okay. 402-729-3383. Uh, 402-729-3383 is our phone number. If you've got a question, now would be a great time I to call. I have something to ask Sarah. Mm. And I, uh, this is what but, we've hang, on, hang on to that, that thought. I do want to talk a little bit about the fruit that came in, the zucchini that yes, came yes, in. Yes, oh. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, a gentleman brought the zucchini in. And it had all these funny scars and marks on it. Right. So they were actually cracks. There were cracks in the skin of the zucchini. And, you know, this is the time of year when some of our, uh, our first vegetables in the gardens are starting to get mature and we're able to harvest them. And then, we, you know, we start seeing things cracking. So tomatoes do tomatoes this. Tomatoes crack all the time. A lot of times yep. up at the Watermelons top. Watermelons will crack. And so it typically it happens when you have a fruit that is nearing maturity. It's just about ready to be harvested. The skin is not as elastic anymore as it was when that fruit was small. And then we get a really big rain, or you, you do a really intense irrigation, and the plants are picking up all of this moisture from the soil, and there's too much water that comes into that fruit all at once, and the skin can't expand enough, and so it just cracks. So um, we would say, you know, we've got some rain predicted over the weekend. So if you've got some uh, vegetables in the garden that are almost ready to pick, we'd say pick them now. Pick them before the rain comes, and then hopefully that will eliminate that potential for them to crack. Cracking is much less common in young fruits, whether it's young cher your young tomatoes, young zucchini, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's mostly the, the mature, almost ready-to-harvest fruits that are going to crack. Do um, uh, cucumbers, do they do that? We don't see it a great deal in you, cucumbers. Because you just think, man, that they just pack in all that water. Right. But, yeah. yeah. But I know I've seen watermelons crack mm -hmm. uh, in, in the field uh, when they're just about ready to pick, and then they'll just split. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. And the, you said they usually go lengthwise, but his were, like, yeah. cracked in a— It was almost spiraled yeah, around spiral. the cucumber yeah. in kind of a strange fashion. Yeah, yeah. they can crack. So tomatoes can crack— you know, down the sides, or they can crack around around the uh, circumference of the tomato. They can crack in different ways. Yeah, that, that zucchini looked almost like it was insect damage at first. Yeah, you know, it does, like a it? cutter of it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, and so uh, a lot of times, you know, down at a farmer's market, you'll get uh, you'll get a, a vendor that has a lot of canning tomatoes, mm -hmm. which are basically just the tomatoes that don't look really nice mm -hmm. because they have gotten cracked on the top or mm -hmm. something. And you can maybe sometimes save some money on canning tomatoes. Yeah. Go ahead, George. I was going to ask uh, Sarah and stuff for her some observations, but 
we were talking about the Japanese beetle coming on so hard, but we seem to be missing a friend here, the bagworms. Yeah, exactly. oh, that's right. Exactly. We haven't talked bagworms. Yeah. This would be the season when we would see bagworms oh, yeah. out there munching on our trees, too. And, boy, they are they're way, way down this year. Yeah. The population of bagworms is, is quite a bit lower than it has been in the last four or five years. So yeah. our entomologists were speculating that those February temperatures, yeah. um, we had, they say bagworm eggs can survive down to about um, one degree. And when it goes, or excuse me, about, about to zero. And when it goes below zero, then they, you start to see some egg death, some actual egg deaths. And so that may have happened this year. Yeah, that day I think we had not 29 below zero, something like that. 29, A real temperature. And I thought this might be a good thing, and it did turn to be good. We had some really damaged material. I looked on people's stuff last year that that had bagroom carcasses left on them, but they're all empty. Right. Yeah. So Uh, we may get a break. Yeah. Hopefully some of the beneficials, you know, will come in and, and kill those little bagworms or the birds will eat them. Maybe we'll have a couple of years where the populations will be right, down. Right, That'd be a nice break. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anything, any, anytime you can get a, you know, a break from, from bagworms. And, you know, for a lot of people in town, uh, they're a nuisance and they're this and they're that. And they're, but, man, if you, uh, if you live on an acreage and you have a, a windbreak, mm-hmm. that's, a, yeah. that's a very valuable asset out there. That uh, you, you, you know, you got to take care of that. Mm-hmm. And with bagworms, we do spray them. You just can't hit them with spray. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they say you really want to soak the tree and get it dripping mm-hmm. wet, mm-hmm. which is hard to do if you're yeah. trying yeah. to do it by and yourself. If you pick them off by hand, make sure there's a top to the bucket because they will crawl out. I found that. No. Oh man, I yeah. tell you, they just want to get out. And you no, didn't think okay. they move that bill? Yeah. I've had people bring samples into the office, and if we don't make sure the bag is closed, <laughs> we'll find them on the ceiling and on the cabinets, <laughs> wherever they happen to crawl to. I, so I, uh, I don't know if I'll have time to get around to this, but I was thinking of this. Uh, sorry about that. I was thinking about a, uh, a horticultural horror show, uh-huh. a horror film, and I was going to call it, the Japanese bagworm beetle. <laughs> you get these two guys together, mm-hmm. and they marry, <laughs> and then, and, you know, I've I got a little yeah. work to do on the plot, of course, but yeah. Japanese bagworm beetle. Uh-huh. That would be a that horror would be, in the landscape. Would that be squ- scary yes. or not, huh? Yes. Two yeah, guys, absolutely. Two, uh, two guys, you mm-hmm. said? I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, absolutely. Going back to my genetics and stuff. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very good. Well, um, th- luckily, we have a call. <laughs> Th- thank you so much for, for getting me out of my, my uh, conundrum here. This is Deb from Jansen. Hi, Deb. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, Go ahead. You got a question? Yes. Our tomato plants have the bottom leaves are turning brown and, and dying. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know whether it was maybe blight. Yeah, it almost certainly is a disease, Deb. Um, it could very well be early blight, which is also called alternaria blight, which is a really, really common disease we see every year on tomatoes. And it, it it's classically starts on the lowest leaves of the plants. You get these little spots, the leaves turn yellow, then they turn completely brown, and the disease just continues to move up the plant. So uh, you can slow it down a little bit if you remove those infected leaves. Just get them off the plant and uh, put them in the trash. 
Um, if you don't have mulch around the base of your plants, I would mulch the soil uh, to prevent some rain splash. Um, yeah, we, we, we do have mulch on them. Okay, that's good. That's really good. Um, you may need to resort to doing some fungicide applications to slow the early blight down enough that you can, uh, you can get a harvest. You're, never, you're not going to get rid of it. Um, uh -huh. It's going to be there on the plants for the whole rest of the season, but you might be able to slow it down uh, to the point where you can still harvest. So I would suggest possibly a copper fungicide, uh, and you can just find kind of generic copper fungicides at your garden center, and you'll need to spray the plants about every 7 to 14 days, depending on how much rain we're getting. If we're getting a lot of rain, you, you do it 7 days. If we're doing not much rain, you can do it about every, every 14 days. And keep up with that until you're done harvesting. Mm. Okay. And then um, a quick question to follow up here. Is this the, the, the type of thing that then when you, at the end of the year, and you're cleaning up your garden, you want to make sure you get all of that? If there's any dead material left, you want to make sure you get that out, right? Absolutely, because that disease is going to overwinter on that infected plant debris, those stems, those leaves, and everything. Uh -huh. um, so get all that plant material out of the garden. Don't put it in the compost pile because typically our compost piles don't get hot enough to kill all those fungal spores. So just put it out in the trash or, or pit compost it, dig a hole and bury it. Um, and then you might want to look for, there are some uh, cultivars, tomato cultivars that are early blight resistant now. I just learned this from Kyle Broderick, our, our, one of our pathologists this week. I, and I remember uh, there's one called Jasper, which has some resistance to early blight. And um, there are a few others. So you might want to look for an early blight-resistant tomato next year. Oh. And Jasper is a, is a Jasper. name of a tomato. Yep, Jasper is a tomato cultivar, and it does have some resistance to early blight. Hmm. Okay. Well. Now, um, you, you might not be able to find that at your local garden center. You know, when you're getting really right. specific like that, you're probably going to have to order some seeds, and you might have to grow your own transplants. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, and uh, we just wanted to check on that. You bet. Thank, thank you. Yeah, we have Kyle, in fact, uh, scheduled to come in do one of our September. We take a break at the, uh, at the end of uh, July, and I, I think our last, yeah, July 30th, will be our last summertime show. And then back in September, we back on the 10th and the 17th. Kyle is back on the uh, 10th. Great. Maybe yeah. he, can, he can list a few more of those yeah, names I'm for an, folks I'm if gonna, they're interested. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to make a little note here. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say back on the uh, continued saga of uh, the uh, yellow nut sedge. I just, I just contacted Brian up in Lincoln, DLA, and I forgot what we were using, but he said tenacity was oh, the name sure. of a product mm -hmm. that works very well with mm -hmm. that. And mm -hmm. uh, Tenacity is, is like the new magic, uh, <laughs> you know. I mean, <laughs> it, it does. It works on a lot of things. <laughs> and it's also kind of expensive, kind yeah, of pricey. Yeah, but, but you don't use very much of it, yeah. and you can last for a long time. It just gets past that $65 a bottle yeah. price, <laughs> you know. It's like, what? what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. And I, w I was just looking up, seeing if I could find it here real quick, um, George, what the active ingredient is in tenacity. I think it might be the halosulfuron. Um, here. Oh, no, it's mesotrione. It's mesotrione. Yeah, so that's, a, that's an, another new chemical yeah. that we can use against the yellow nut sedge. Mm -hmm. So yeah. there, I, 
I mean, you can buy Tenacity online, but like you say, if a homeowner doesn't want to buy a, a bottle that's going to cost them, you know, over a hundred bucks, there was a Scotch formulation uh, this summer uh, of a weed and feed product pre-emergent that had Tenacity in it. Um, maybe I'll see if I can find the oh, name okay. of that. Yeah. Um, and people might be able to, might want to look for that. All right. Mm -hmm. Let's take a quick time out and we'll be back with more Yard and Garden Live here on Old Red 99.5. Yard and Garden Live back on your Friday morning on today's Best Country, All Red 99.5. And uh, we have from Plymouth, Nancy, and I bet I know why you're calling, huh? No, I bet you don't. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. But we'll talk about that, too, if you'd like. I would love to. Before we, be, you have a question then. Yes, I do. Oh, okay. I have a baby's breath plant that I've had for years. And I'd say the last two or three years, when the baby's breath, it, it comes up fine, it shoots a lot of uh, green, and then it puts on the little flowers, but the flowers do not finish opening. They're just little tiny specks that they, they don't come to maturity. And um, so I just wondered if it's time to, as they say on many of them, rogue it out and get rid of it and start all over. Do they get too old? What's my dilemma? Well, so I'm, I'm trying to think, okay, what would be the problems that would cause, you know, the flowers to not open and mature on baby's breath the way they normally would? So a couple things to come to mind would be you might have thrips. So a, a good infestation of thrips could cause that. Or maybe the plant has gotten infected with aster yellows um, because I believe that aster yellows virus does infect baby's breath. Um, now, if it is aster yellows, you're just going to have to start over. Yeah, rogue, okay. rogue it out, <laughs> replant with a new plant. Um, and if it's thrips, uh, thrips are really hard to control, but typically they don't get so out of hand in a garden that they would cause there to be no flowers. So I guess, if you know, it might be good if you brought a sample in sometime to Nicole at the Beatrice office so she could look real closely with a microscope to see if she, she sees any thrips on those plants. Okay, it looks basically like a healthy baby's breath bush would. Okay. But then we, it, it gets all these uh, baby breath, you know, buds on them. Right. But then they just stall out. They don't right. finish opening. So I will do that. Okay. okay. Right. Thank you. Sounds good. So, Nancy, can I ask you a question? Sure. You got anything going on tomorrow? Oh, man, we're busy. All In right. In fact, I was glad for a little rain this morning. I could at least sweep my kitchen floor. I think the outside looks pretty good, but the inside of my house is starting to deteriorate real rapidly. <laughs> let's, talk, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in Plymouth tomorrow. Okay. Well, we have our, our uh, garden and art show, and that's from 10 to 2. And uh, if anybody has any entries, we'd love to have them. Um, and we will try to have our doors open at 7.30 at the community center in Plymouth. And so uh, we just categorize it. We've, we pretty much find a category, a category for about everything that people can bring in as far as flowers and art. So um, it's just a good time. And, of course, it wouldn't be uh, as great if people didn't bring their entries in. And I think it's kind of difficult this year with the drought and oh, yeah. bugs and everything else. But... Uh, um, we hope to have a good time, and then we also are having, in conjunction with that, uh, open house out here at our farm at Daylily Drive for anybody who's interested in just 
looking at daylilies. They're they're in bloom now. All right, that's five miles west of Plymouth, right? Yes. All yes. Right. On the uh, north side. Yeah. You'll see it. Let me. Uh, and then uh, when you take uh, when you say uh, you know you 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 can enter whatever. You really can. I mean, from photos, art, flowers, garden vegetables, uh, somebody does stained glass or mosaic. It doesn't matter. You can, uh, you want it, and you want to have it displayed, right? That's exactly right. And we, and then we also have a group of ladies that do a little uh, garden cafe right there at the uh, community center. They make a very nice little lunch, and so it's just a nice day. All right. And you know what? It looks like. You're going to have maybe kind of a uh, maybe a little cooler day, maybe a little rain on and off, which won't bother you a bit, would it? No, it certainly wouldn't. I would welcome I, if we could get rained out. That'd be good. <laughs> okay, that would that would be okay with you. All right, that would. Well, Nancy, once again, uh, thank you for uh, every year remi- reminding me that this is going on with your uh, with your flyer and. I'll talk to you again next year. And please uh, do call uh, the day before. Okay. I mean, if right. it, even if it's just to talk about about what's going on. We, we love it. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Randy. You betcha. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And 402-729-3383, 402-729-3383. Uh, my radars keep going off here. It says it's supposed to have some moderate rain starting in about 20 minutes. Uh, stopping within an hour here in Fairbury. So we really didn't get much this morning. Now, I was looking over Beatrice and Wymore Way. It looked like maybe there was a little I light think, rain. Uh, south of Beatrice, I think it got a little more rain than we did in Beatrice and everything. Yeah, so yeah. we look forward to having some tonight. No tomorrow. kidding, yeah. yeah. That'll be great. I know uh, up around uh, Geneva, that area up there, uh, there were some areas, some you know, some heavier rain. We were talking about Japanese beetles and bagworms, the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the monarch butterflies. Mm-hmm. I just saw my first two monarch butterflies oh, the other day. Nice. And I'm starting to see people take care of their common milkweed, not just thinking it's a big weed. And and in places, it's just they're doing real well. So mm-hmm. keep up the good work, everybody. That's yeah, nice. and in fact, if you want to plant this uh, in your, in your uh, gardenscape, I mean, there's some really... Really nice looking milkweed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just don't call it milkweed in front of people who don't know what you're talking about because mm-hmm. they'll turn up their nose. They get their corn knife out. Yeah, yeah, milkweed. Yeah, reminds me of my youth. Yeah, mm-hmm. but and you know, and it's uh, it's a it's a perennial. Comes back, it reseeds itself. Does it not? Is that how that works? And it has a perennial root system too. Oh, it does. So it has some both. rhizomes that it can regrow ah, from. Okay, yeah. and like I said, it, there's all kinds of different flowering oh, yeah. colors. Yeah. Right. And uh, and it looks good, and it's easy to take care of, and well, this is kind of in the whole thing of we paying attention to the pollinators and the insects that we want to keep. Yeah. You know, you sit there and you have people want. I want to get the white clover out of my yard. That's one of the first flowers that the pollinators go after. Right. You know what I mean? And the, even the dandelions and stuff yeah, like that. But, I know. You know, but I mean, it's just something to think about other than just ourselves. Well, if you're going to take some out, you should put some back, right? Mm-hmm. One guy told me one time about, you know, a perfectly, you know, yard taken care of, maintained. Well, who sees that? Somebody going by at 35 miles an hour? It's just for your enjoyment, and that's it. So, I mean, you know, come on. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he had a point, doesn't yeah. he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's Bob <laughs> over in Hebron. Hey, Bob. Hello. Hi. You have a question? Uh, yeah. We built a garage or a shed here a couple, two, three years ago. 
And I went out there in the back a couple days ago, and I noticed termite tracks going up the wall. Wait a minute. Termite tracks, huh? Mm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> How do you get rid of those? Hey, you know, uh, I ran into someone who does that, and they have a company that comes around and puts the actually traps out. A lot of times, termites don't live in the building or close to it. They live out in the yard quite a ways. Okay. And they move back and forth in, through these tunnels and everything. Uh, but I actually, there's a company that does this. I think it's out of Kansas, and they'll put these traps, and they come and inspect them like three or four times a year to see if there's any termite action. And with these chemicals, it takes them back to the nest and kills the nest. And then they monitor those. Well, that's one way to do it. And I guess there are some insecticides you could use. Yeah, I, for a home, typically they would be um, injecting the chemical in the ground yeah, right. around the foundation and underneath the foundation of the home to kill the termites. But, you know, George's suggestion of these traps is a good one, you know, because then wherever the company finds the termites are hitting, then they'll put in a, a poison bait and then you know, that, that chemical will, will affect the colony. I believe that there are companies in Lincoln that will do that, yes, kind, of, yes. that kind of baiting as well. Mm -hmm. But I'm entomology, house, house structural-related entomology is not one of my strong suits. So you might want to give um, either Kate Chapman uh, in our Lancaster Extension Office a call, uh, and you can reach the Lancaster Extension Office at 441-7180. And again, her name is Kate Chapman. She's our entomologist, and she could probably give you some more details and point you in the direction of some companies that might be able to help you out. There was, there was not a spray or anything you can get that will you could do yourself. Well, you know, if you're if you're just spraying, you know, so when they're in the tubes, in the mud tubes, they're pretty pretty resistant because you're not going to be able to get that chemical in the mud tubes. If you broke the mud tubes up and you sprayed it then yes, you'd kill any insects that were right there. But that's like the tip of the iceberg. I mean, you're seeing just a few bugs out of the ground, and there's thousands and probably millions of them that are in the soil. And if you don't How kill them, the numbers are <laughs> tremendous. Thousands and millions? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many of them in the soil in these colonies. And if you're not killing those, then your sprays, you're just going to have to spray again and again and again. It's going to be a never-ending problem. Yeah, the idea is to get back to take that bait or the poison back to the nest and kill the entire nest versus I've watched this process for over about seven years and once they took care of that and put those traps out and the base we had to, there's been no more termites and that they had a pretty good infestation in that house. Mm -hmm. So it really works. Right. Uh, well, so, I'll see if I can try that then. You're it's you're bound and determined to do it yourself, are you? Well, yeah. It all depends on how much of the money we use. Yeah, I, I, you know, yeah, it, it is. You know, termite control can be expensive, that's for be. sure. Yeah. I do have a, a phone number if later on, if you decide you want it, uh, for a uh, company here in Fairbury hmm. who did my house. When I, I, you know, I did a remodel on my house and I did a lot of work on the outside, had it all budgeted out. Lo and behold, they go, Mr. Bauer, I need to come up and show you something. And when they had pulled the old siding off, I had a lot of termite damage. And so this company took care of it. Uh, is it cheap? No, it's not. And is it effective? Very. But, I mean, you know, in another uh, 10 years, they could come back again. No, rebuilding is not cheap either. And that's true. Right. But if you decide you want that number, uh, you can give me a call and uh, here at the studios, and I'll be 
I could pass it on to you. Oh, the the number at the studio is is what? The same one you just dialed. Three three eight three. Do you want the phone number now? Let me just give it to you now. All right. And right. and let me da 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 da. I had it. There we go. It is four oh two. Three hundred. One three four three. One three four three. Yep. All right. Thank you a whole bunch. You betcha. I'll try that. You betcha. Tell them Randy sent you. <laughs> that, that, Maybe you'll get ten percent off your next termite don't, treatment. Don't do that. <laughs> or a free hat. Don't, don't yeah. do that. He'll charge you double. <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. I think we do have uh, time for one more call. That it is coming in now, and we will go ahead and take. Uh, oops, I've, I've lost my. I was looking at something else and I messed up my. Here we go. Gail from Beatrice. Uh, da, 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 three. Or four? Three. Okay. Gail, is that you? Yes. All right. You have a question. Go ahead. Um, I planted some pumpkins, and a, quite a few of them have been breaking off or dying right at the ground level. I'm not sure what I did wrong. I fertilized it, and I put lime on it before I planted the garden, I, and I had that tilted in. Is this what I did wrong? No, I, I don't think the lime really had anything to do with it. Mm -hmm. My first thought is that you've got squash vine borers in there. Um, squash vine borers are the larva of a moth. They're a little kind of cream-colored caterpillar, and they love pumpkins. Mm. And uh, the little caterpillars will start to tunnel in the stems and tunnel up the stems. So where they go in, it creates a weak point, and it could easily cause the stems to break there. You could actually slit the stems open and see if you can find a little... Uh, creamy colored caterpillar inside the stem and uh, if that's the case you can take the caterpillar out and sometimes people have luck reburying the stem and getting it to re-root again and then going on to live and actually set fruits later in the summer do you have some that aren't dead yet uh, yes i okay. have some that aren't dead yet yeah. those you might want to think about protecting them from squash fine borer and so to do that you would spray the base of the plants, the, the base of that original vine with um, like a permethrin uh, 8 or carbaryl or something like that to uh, kill those little uh, caterpillars if they do happen to hatch out and start to tunnel into your stems. Okay. Yep, that's a real common problem. And mm -hmm. uh, once you have these little uh, pests in your garden, unfortunately, there's a real good chance Gail, that you're going to see it, see them again and again and again. Is that right, guys? Yeah, right? you bet. Yeah. yeah. So you d you know, and it, it and it, it can be pumpkins, uh, cucumbers, mm -hmm. uh, squash, zucchini. zucchini. Z yeah, mm -hmm. a zucchini is just like yeah. a magnet for them. Apparently, they like the Hubbards. They like some of the or the, the acorn squash. They like a lot of the winter squash types, uh, but they okay. do like zucchini as yeah. well. All right. So, all right, Gail. Thank you for the is call. There, is there something you can put in the, before you plant in the no, spring? No, there's nothing no. you can apply in the soil that would help you. It's just as soon as the vines start to, as soon as the plants start to vine, then go ahead and spray the base of the plants with, um, you know, seven or eight. Although there are some home remedies you can try. Some people will take little cardboard tubes, like the, the tubes you get from a toilet paper roll, slit it, and put it around the base of that vine. And the theory is. It makes it difficult for the adult moth to fly in there and to, to lay eggs. 
so they're less likely to lay eggs and they'll go find an easier target. I've heard of people wrapping the base of the vines with foil or wrapping them with old nylon hose with the same theory that it, it prevents egg laying. So if you don't want to do chemicals, you could try some of those um, mechanical control methods. Or you can try both and double dip on it. But if you if you did if she did use the chemical and, and you want to do it right where it comes out of the ground, right? Do you want to then check the label and find out? Because you're not going to be one and done, right? Nope. You're going to have to reapply. And I, I'm, I'm thinking with permethrin or some type of similar product, you're probably going to have to apply it about every two weeks, every 14 to 28 days. Unless it would rain off. To yeah. continue to provide that protection yeah. for the plant. Yeah. Does, uh, like, fall cleanup help when you remove those? It does, yeah. Yeah. Definitely, stems, because yeah. if they're, um, you know, the insects will oftentimes overwinter in plant debris in and around the garden. So garden cleanup can be an important yeah. step. Okay, thank you. You betcha. Thank you, Gail. And we'll be back in a flash with more Yard and Garden Live. Yeah. <laughs> uh, back here with a wrap-up here on uh, Yard and Garden Live today. Um, you know, man, what a great pro I thought, you know, we started out, it was really pokey. Mm -hmm. I was thinking, man, we're not going to get anybody to call. Ended up, we uh, answered about 14 people with phone calls and emails and so on and so forth. So it was really good. And uh, man, oh, man, want to thank uh, George for coming over again. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and once again... If you're thinking about this fall uh, planting a tree, uh, here is the guy not only that has the tree but has the knowledge and can really help you get started on the, on the right foot. And your trees, it's not like they're hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a tree that's sourced here in Nebraska yep. and native to Nebraska. Exactly. So, you know, why spend the money on a tree that you don't know anything about? when you can get one that's right here. And that's Roseland Nursery in Blue Springs. Roseland Nursery in Blue Springs. So mm -hmm. thank you, George. Mm -hmm. And I know we'll, we'll, we'll run into each other down the line. In <laughs> fact, I'll probably come over this fall and get a, get a tree from you. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. We'll have a you know, the open house day. Then. Will it be open oh, house? Yeah, yeah, Brandy's here. Okay. You know. you, will there be liquid refreshments? No, it'll be like pennants and big oh, signs. Oh, okay. And All right. <laughs> yeah, you know. And uh, Sarah Browning. Always such a delight to have you in the studios. It's like Sarah walks in, sits down, and I just go, nobody's going to have anything going to get past her today. I mean, for instance, the baby breath thing. Uh -huh. I mean, come on. Yeah, that's a little bit of a tough question. Yeah, that's, so. that's way out there, but you, you didn't have to struggle for an answer. So anyway. Yeah. Well, uh, it's good to be here, Randy. It's God. always a lot of fun. Good, good. Uh, keep that attitude, all mm -hmm. right? And we will see you down the line, okay? Definitely. All right. And until uh, we meet again on Yard and Garden Live, I will not be here next uh, next Friday. I've got a date with a, uh, with a surgeon. Uh, Trevor will be here, and Nicole Stoner will be here. And if I was a top-of-the-game radio announcer, I would tell you who her, her guest is. But <laughs> I'm not a top-of-the-line <laughs> radio announcer uh, on my top of my game. Uh, anyway, it'll be good. Thanks for calling. Thanks for listening. See you next time.